Welcome to Above Avalon. This is episode 133, The Big Picture from Steve Jobs Theater. Hi, I'm Neil. Last week, I flew out to California to attend Apple's second major event at Steve Jobs Theater. It was a productive trip. I do enjoy going to these events because in some ways, they're like productions that Apple puts on. So you get to see a different side of the company. I also like the demo rooms, just kind of taking it all in, getting the aura around all of these people trying the products for the very first time. I don't think there's any question this time around. Apple Watch Series 4 was the star of the show. While in California, I was also able to have an Above Avalon member meetup at Apple Park. That was the first member meetup at Apple Park, which was exciting. I had a great time. I also (laughs) mistakenly went over the Golden Gate Bridge for the first time. So that was a long story, but I guess at the end of the day, it was a fun experience. So needless to say, last week was pretty busy. There are two ways to approach the post-event analysis and discussion. One way is you can focus on all of the major themes, the takeaways, all of the details from that event. And I did that last week. I published my event review, and that's available to Above Avalon members. There's another approach. We can look at the big picture. What do these new iPhones and Apple Watches mean in terms of Apple's broader product strategy? Do these new products contain clues as to where Apple is headed as a company? That's going to be the focus for today's discussion. And the best place to begin is with how Apple kicked off this presentation last week. We had Tim Cook up on stage providing Apple's mission statement. Now, a little bit of background is needed. In recent years, Apple has been facing growing criticism around storytelling or the ability to weave a narrative around a new product. And so the company is facing questions as to, well, where does Apple Watch fit into the big grand scheme of things? Or HomePod, wireless AirPods, what are those products really trying to do? You could say that there's questions around Apple's mission statement. I have found that sometimes when I talk about Apple product strategy, I have people commenting, well, why doesn't Apple talk about this more? Why doesn't Apple be a little bit more direct with strategy discussion, or at least with explaining how one product fits into the big picture? And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a few minutes as to what I think may be going on here. But here you had Cook going over the mission statement. I thought he did an okay job. I think people who may be familiar with Apple's product strategy, they'll listen to Cook and kind of shake their head. Yep, this is really where he should be going. However, I'm not sure if Cook really changed many hearts and minds. It seems like it's one of those things you either agree with Apple on its strategy and its broader mission, or you disagree, or at least you're not quite sure what Apple may be talking about when they say things like, well, we strive to make technology more personal. Sometimes people want a little bit more detail or examples of what that means. Instead of going over all of Cook's comments, I really wanted to focus on the beginning and the ending. So here's Cook. Quote, Apple was founded to make the computer more personal. Of course, first with the Apple II and then later with the Mac. Over the years, we've taken this mission further than anyone could have imagined. We've created several categories of technology that have had a profound impact on people's lives. From the iPod, to the iPhone, to the iPad, to the Apple Watch, end quote. 
Now, I think that does a pretty good job at getting to the heart of what Apple is about, making technology more personal. How? Coming up with new tools for people. So here's the ending of Cook's comments. Quote, so it's only fitting that today, we're going to tell you about two of our most personal products, the ones that are with you everywhere that you go, and how we are going to take them even further, end quote. Cook accomplished two things with that final paragraph. The first is he set the stage for the event. Heading into last week, there had been a discussion, well, maybe Apple is going to also announce new iPads. Maybe they have an update with the Mac to talk about. Who knows? Maybe there's new wireless AirPods or a new type of headphone coming. Instead, Cook made it pretty clear, nope, today is going to be about iPhone and Apple Watch. The second objective that he was able to achieve with that very short paragraph was framing the iPhone and Apple Watch in context of the bigger picture. So he talks about them as Apple's most personal products, the ones that are with you everywhere that you go. That line does such a good job at explaining why the iPhone and Apple Watch have been so impactful in people's lives, why these products really matter. I think it ends up describing why Apple is going to take the iPhone and Apple Watch, push them even further in order to continue their mission at making computers that are more personal. As discussed at the beginning of the episode, we're not going to spend much time on going over all of the details regarding these new products. I'll have more information on that at the end of the episode. So when we turn to the iPhone XS and XR, Apple did three things. They focused on three items in order to push the iPhone X experience forward. The first, larger screens. The iPhone XS Max has a 6.5-inch screen. The iPhone XR, a 6.1-inch screen. So those two are larger than the 5.8-inch screen that Apple gave the iPhone X last year and which they kept with the iPhone XS this year. The second item that Apple focused on was smarter brains. The A12 Bionic gives Apple an even larger lead over the competition. And then the third item, which I think sometimes people may not focus as much on, at least not in terms of the big picture, better eyes. The dual camera system gives iPhone the ability to see the surrounding world with a more intelligent perspective. However, when it comes to talking about the current state of the iPhone business, it's the A12 Bionic chip that really sums everything up. There is a reason Apple spent nearly 10% of the presentation talking about the A12 Bionic chip. It's not 10% of the iPhone part of the presentation. It was the entire presentation. Apple has spent the past decade working to control the core technologies powering its devices. The end result is you have an Apple chip that is providing the company a significant competitive advantage in the marketplace. With each new iPhone release, Apple's custom silicon is responsible for an increasing portion of the iPhone experience. That would explain why Apple spent so much time talking about an iPhone chip, why all of the demos were meant to explain why the A12 is such a big deal in terms of the iPhone experience. Add it all up, and Apple didn't just announce three new iPhones last week. Instead, when you take into consideration A12 Bionic, 
the increasingly capable cameras. Apple announced three augmented reality navigators serving as laptop and desktop alternatives. When it comes to Apple Watch Series 4, it's still a show. Sure, the new iPhones were impressive, but it was the Apple Watch that really got people talking. There are two slides from the Apple Watch portion of the presentation that stood out. I have screenshots of them over at AboveAvalon.com in this week's article, Connecting the Apple Dots. The first image shows the optical heart sensor on the back of Apple Watch. The second shows Jeff Williams demonstrating some of Apple's findings from its multi-year research into falls. Both slides depict Apple Watch as a proactive digital assistant. We're not just talking about Siri either. We're talking about the actual device. The entire device is a proactive digital assistant. Apple Watch is capable of monitoring everything from our heart rhythm to whether we have fallen and need help. By being worn in the body, Apple Watch is able to handle tasks that we don't give to iPhone. And more importantly, it's handling tasks that we will never give to iPhone. Take that and then combine it with the independence that's found with cellular. Apple Watch really does contain an incredibly powerful value proposition. Apple Watch and iPhone represent the two most personal devices in Apple's product line. At first, it may seem like these products are lacking any connection to their larger siblings. We can point to the iPad, the MacBook, iMac, Mac Pro. However, there is a single philosophy connecting each of Apple's major product categories. I call it the grand unified theory of Apple products. Longtime listeners to the Above Avalon podcast would be familiar with this theory because I talked about it way back in December 2015, episode 44. If you didn't listen to that episode, pause this discussion right here. Go back to 44. Listen to all the details. We're not going to talk about all of that today. Instead, I want to simply revisit the theory, given all the significant changes that have taken place within Apple's product line over the past three years. In a nutshell, what is this grand unified theory of Apple products? It's about Apple's major product categories being interconnected by the roles they play in making technology more personal. Each product is given a goal that ends up describing its design attributes. For example, with Mac desktops, they are designed to be powerful and capable enough to push the boundaries of a computer. With Mac portables, they are designed to handle tasks that may have traditionally went to a desktop. We have iPad. It's designed to serve as an alternative to laptops and desktops. Then we turn to the really the, the two most personal items, iPhone. Designed to be powerful enough to reduce the need for iPad and Mac and Apple Watch. Designed to handle an increasing number of tasks so that less time has to be given to iPhone and iPad. This Apple product theory ends up being based on some of Phil Schiller's comments three years ago when he was talking about the new iMacs. He was trying to put those in perspective. 
The major difference is he actually started in reverse. He started with Apple Watch and then worked his way up to IMAX. So for example, according to Phil Schiller, the job of Apple Watch is to do more and more things on your wrists so you don't need to pick up your phone as often. That was how Schiller talked about watch. And then we moved up from there, working to iPhone, iPad, all the way to iMac. My theory is based more on this concept of making technology more personal. And the idea is that at the top, with the iMac, the Mac Pro, you need to push that product as far as you can in order to push all the subsequent products like Mac, iPad, all the way down to Apple Watch. Apple's product strategy isn't based on coming up with replacements for existing products, but on using personal technology to come up with alternatives to more powerful computers. And we've talked about this from time to time in this podcast. The iPad, for example, is not a Mac replacement. All of the things that you can do on the Mac you can't do them all on an iPad. You could do some things on an iPad. In my view, that makes iPad more of an alternative, not a replacement. That doesn't take away any power from the iPad, by the way. It still ends up being a very powerful dynamic. The iPhone. Earlier, I talked about how the iPhone is a laptop and desktop alternative. It's not a replacement. It can't handle all of the things that we use Macs and desktops for. But instead, it's taking some of the task that we used to give the laptops and desktops. I received one comment to the article this week along the lines of, it's not that they really handle task formally given to more powerful computers. Instead, it's better to say that they handle the lightweight task. So for example, the iPhone handles the lightweight task formally given to the iPad and Mac. And my response to them was, I disagree. Using the term lightweight ends up making this very subjective. And it's not fair. It ends up minimizing what's actually happening here. You see this a lot with the iPad versus Mac debate. There is this idea that if you use an iPad a certain way, well, you're just using it simple for simple things. You're not actually using it. That doesn't count. That's the attitude by some people. If you really had to get work done, you couldn't do it in an iPad. You hear that phrase a lot. And so I don't want to take the word task and break it up into, oh, it's lightweight, heavyweight, professional task, consumer. I, I think that is overly complicated and ignores really what's happening here. Apple is using personal technology to come up with alternatives to more powerful computers. So by relying on new form factors, in addition to new user inputs and outputs, Apple has seen success in coming up with products that contain less in the way of barriers between the user and technology. I often get this question, what does making technology more personal mean? I think a lot of people, they understand how Apple looks at that topic differently than a lot of companies, but what does it really 
come down to? What does it really boil down to? It's this. Apple relies on using intuitiveness to harness technology's potential. You can't say the same thing about a lot of other companies. So when we look at the iPhone XS, XS Max, the iPhone XR, Apple's goal with those products is to give them enough functionality to serve as Mac and iPad alternatives. The goal with Apple Watch is to give the product enough functionality to eventually reduce the need for an iPhone. The grand unified theory of Apple products also ends up doing a good job of explaining why Apple uses such a hands-off approach when it comes to telling consumers which products fit best in their lives. This goes back to our initial topic about how Apple does face criticism when it comes to explaining itself or providing a narrative for all these products. If we look at something like the iPhone line, it could get a little bit confusing. You can choose everything from an iPhone SE, which is still being sold, to a 6.5-inch iPhone XS Max. Sure, Apple has comparison tools on their website that you can go through the specs between them, but Apple really doesn't spend a lot of time and energy in helping users to figure out, okay, well, this is why we think this iPhone exists. This is why we think that particular iPhone exists. And by the way, this is how we think this relates to the iPad, the iPad Pro. Oh, you're interested in a Mac? Well, this is how that kind of fits into this. They don't get into that type of discussion. Instead, Apple management wants the customer to determine the degree of personal technology that makes sense for their needs. For some people, a Mac is required. They just can't move beyond it. The workflows cannot be handled with iOS. For others, an iPhone is the only computer they need. Look at the recent Mac and iPad Pro ad campaigns. They told me Apple management has become comfortable in allowing each product category to stand on its own. You don't have Apple necessarily lifting up one category at the expense of the other. And I think Apple has learned a lot about that. They may have come to grips with that over the past year or so. And we see that with the Mac. There's clear evidence of Apple having second thoughts on their strategy for addressing professional Mac users. Based on the most recent iPhone and Apple Watch updates, Apple's longer-term ambition has become crystal clear. This is a company that believes Apple Watch will serve as a viable alternative to iPhone. What is the major implication from that? I think the environment is going to become friendly. It's going to become more open for new form factors to come up. These form factors will be capable of making technology even more personal than what is possible with Apple Watch. When we turn back to the grand unified theory of Apple products, it ends up being about Apple's strategy for making technology more personal. You're depending on intuitiveness combined with new form factors, new user inputs and outputs 
to come up with a new kind of tool. And that tool will be designed to handle tasks that we currently give to existing tools, like Apple Watches, iPhones, iPads. So I think the grand unified theory is going to expand. It's going to include a new product category beneath Apple Watch. That form factor, that product, it's Apple Glasses. It's a product category that will be given the job of handling tasks currently given to Apple Watch and iPhone. Apple will be able to accomplish this by coming up with new user inputs. So think less multi-touch and more glances and voice and also new user outputs. So that work Apple is doing with its custom silicon, the miniaturization techniques that you see with Apple Watch, I think those are going to come together to make a pair of lightweight smart glasses possible. As the iPhone continues to gain new capabilities as an augmented reality navigator, and the Apple Watch becomes a new kind of proactive digital assistant, there is going to be room in our lives for a simpler device. This device will be designed to break down technology even further to provide an enhanced view of the world around us. I don't think there's going to be anything as intuitive as a pair of smart glasses. There is a major consequence found with the grant theory. Apple's various product categories have dramatically different user base sizes based on the amount of personal technology found with the product. For example, the Mac has a combined user base of around 100 million people. The iPad has almost three times as large of a user base. The iPhone will soon exceed a user base that is nine times as large as that of Mac. All of those numbers are my estimates. The methodology and calculations used to derive those estimates are available to above Avalon members. I publish them on a quarterly basis. What about the Apple Watch? In just three years, Apple Watch's user base has grown to 40 million people. For context, the iPhone user base was 55 million after just three years. There are two quick items that I would point out. The first is more of a reminder that the user base is a less conservative number. What that means is it doesn't just include everyone in the install base. Those are people who are buying product from Apple or directly from a third-party retailer. Instead, it includes all of those products that are maybe used or passed down to other people. So that results in a larger user-based calculation. The other item I would point out is when you look at things like Apple TV, wireless AirPods, HomePods, some of you may be asking, well, why isn't that part of this grand unified theory of Apple products? Why aren't you talking about the user-based estimates for those products? I look at those products as accessories. They add value to all of these other major product categories. I don't consider Apple TV to be a major product category. I don't consider wireless earpods to be a major product category, even though they are selling extremely well <laughs> in the marketplace and they are very likely going to surpass sales for Mac. Even then, I don't consider them to be 
a major product category along the same lines as Apple Watch, iPhone, iPad. Could that change in the future? Sure. Wireless AirPods really are the thing to focus on there because you can add so much functionality to that device when you really think about it. The question, though, is will Apple go down that path? Because you can also add some of that same functionality with a watch. You can add some of that same functionality down the road with a pair of glasses. Based on the most recent commentary from Apple management, it would seem like Apple would keep AirPods as an accessory and not turn it into a product category just like Apple Watch or down the road like Apple Glasses. But it's something to keep in mind, and we'll definitely pay attention to that over time. When you take the major implications found with the Grand Unified Theory of Apple products, and you then begin to project how these different user base estimates will change going forward, this is where things become pretty intriguing. My expectation is that Apple Watch and Apple Glasses will one day be used by more people than will the iPhone. I know what you're saying. That seems crazy. It seems way too bullish. That, that's a nice way of putting it. <laughs> you could probably also say that it's a radical idea, which is another way of putting it. But I think maybe some people will say, I'm not giving enough credit to the iPhone. I'm not appreciating how pivotal of a role the iPhone is playing in our lives. But I disagree with that. I, I am considering that. Instead, what I'm arguing here is that the appeal found with intuitive devices that are capable of making technology more personal will simply prove too powerful. One way of thinking about this is that for the generation growing up with iPhone, the Mac is a different kind of product. I'm just going to leave it at that because we could talk about that for hours on end. It's a different kind of product. I think for future generations, that same idea around the Mac, it's going to apply to iPhone. It's just going to be a different kind of product. Meanwhile, things like Apple Glasses, Apple Watch, those would be considered the most personal devices in our lives. In a way, things are just simply going to evolve. And it feels like it won't. It feels like there's just no way that we're going to have these devices become a bigger deal in our life than what the iPhone is today. But I think the personal technology angle for all of this, there's no holding it back. As new form factors allow Apple to harness technology's potential, the scope to which those products are able to connect with humans intensifies. We can look at multi-touch as a great example of this. I think multi-touch was a leading factor in having iPhone have a user base that is nine times larger than that of Mac. Having a proactive digital assistant on the wrist is going to give Apple Watch a user base that eventually exceeds that of iPhone. Of course, the key to my projection is that the Apple Watch will eventually be decoupled from the iPhone. Complete independence. I think it is inevitable. The only question is final timing. When it comes to glasses, a product that will be tasked with making technology more personal than iPhone or watch, 
I think providing enhanced vision will be one of the more attractive value propositions in existence. Enhanced vision is not the same as clearer vision. As it stands today, I wear glasses or contact lenses because I just can't see. They provide clearer vision. Well, in the future, you're going to want to wear Apple glasses because it provides enhanced vision. You get additional context, additional information about the world around you. You get a better view of your surroundings. That's not just something that applies to a certain group of people. That applies to everyone. While a user base of 900 million people may seem impossible for Apple Watch or Apple Glasses to surpass, there are 7.5 billion people on Earth. Everyone can benefit from a device that delivers an enhanced view of the world around us. With smarter brains and better eyes, the iPhone XS and XR will continue the trend of iPhones gaining functionality. It is not a surprise that we see iPhone pricing begin to move higher as a result. However, despite all of those advancements, I think the Apple Watch Series 4 was the star of the show at last week's event at Steve Jobs Theater. That may come as a surprise to some observers, but there have been signs that this day would come. The watch's ability to proactively monitor our life is game-changing. We have not seen anything like it before. And there goes my Apple Watch, <laughs> telling me to work on my activity rings a little bit more. <laughs> that is one byproduct of recording a podcast, I guess. <laughs> that brings up one final point regarding the grand unified theory of Apple products. It's not just about coming up with more personal products that are able to handle the tasks given to more powerful products. It's about these new form factors handling new tasks. The things that we see possible with iPhone, well, they weren't possible with iPad or Mac. With Apple Watch, I think this is even more stark. There are things the Apple Watch can do, such as reminding me to stand up, to be a little bit more active, that the iPhone's going to have a very difficult time handling that task. Forget it in terms of the iPad or Mac. They're just simply unable to do that. With Apple Glasses, in addition to handling tasks that we formerly gave to Apple Watch and iPhone, it is going to handle new tasks, things that we didn't even think maybe a personal computer would be able to do. That's the wild factor. That often is the driver behind these more personal devices appealing to a much larger user base. And I think that's one reason that you're going to see devices like Apple Watch and Apple Glasses simply appeal to more people than even the iPhone was able to do, even if that seems impossible today. When we look back at the late 2010s for Apple, we will likely refer to this as the early stages of the Apple Watch and Apple Glasses era. 
Apple's multi-decade quest to make technology more personal is based on using intuitiveness to knock down the barriers that exist between humans and technology. One way of accomplishing this is to push the boundaries found with today's most personal products. And that is what Apple did last week. The faster Apple runs with iPhone and Apple Watch, the closer the company will get to announcing its most personal product yet. Glasses. That's going to do it for today's episode. The past week or so has been pretty busy in terms of everything I've been publishing. So as I discussed in the beginning of the episode, I sent my full product event review out to Above Avalon members. There were two parts, major themes and takeaways, and my full notes in which we covered 38 different topics from Apple's product event. So if you are an Above Avalon member, just look for those in your inbox. If you're not a member and you want to receive that review, all you have to do is become a member and you could get access via the daily updates archive. In addition, there were a couple of topics in today's episode that I talked about in a little bit more detail for members. So that is available. For example, all of the methodology and estimates behind those user base numbers. Where did I get those from? I do update that on a quarterly basis. So again, that's also available for members. All of this stuff is found in the daily updates that I publish Monday through Thursday. Each is 2,000 words, covers two to three stories, basically covers everything I think matters in the world of Apple. Those daily updates serve as the cornerstone to above Avalon membership. And so if you enjoy the analysis found in these podcast episodes and the weekly articles that are available over at AboveAvalon.com, I think you would see a lot of value in becoming an Above Avalon member. Head on over to AboveAvalon.com for more information on membership. There's also sign-up forms there, so all you got to do is go to the membership page. There are two membership options, $20 per month or $200 per year. Above Avalon is fully sustained by memberships. So I do appreciate those of you who are already Above Avalon members, and I thank you in advance for those of you who are considering becoming Above Avalon members. With that, I will conclude today's episode. Let me go do what my Apple Watch is suggesting that I do and stand up, walk around. I will talk to you all later. Bye.